welcome. This is class number something. I don't recall which class. Number four, perhaps? Four? Yeah, four. So it's important. You think I should know which class? Uh, this is kind of ironic. It's, this is a class about counting today. <laughs> counting of the, not counting of the classes, but counting of the, of the omen. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So let's, I will pray and then we will, uh, we will get started. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather tonight to continue looking into uh, your word in Leviticus and to see your order of events and your way in which you remind us of things, Lord. May we just see how all of these uh, appointed times, these holy convocations, Lord, that they uh, remind us of, of attributes of you, aspects of you, and the way in which you have ordered and planned um, planned the universe, Lord, and planned our existence. So we pray that you would speak through Rabbi Chaim tonight, that we would leave here with information we did not have when we first came in that we'd be enriched and enhanced in our understanding of you. We pray these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. It's good to see everybody. I wanted to clarify um, the, the chapter on Sfirat HaOmer, and I'll get into an explanation of all of that. Um, the chapter is a little confusing because you, you actually have two separate things that we needed to focus on. So uh, let me scribble on the board. First of all um, is Yom, and we're going to have some Hebrew, so this gets a little overwhelming. Just uh, speak up Yom Bikurim. And Sfirat Ha Omer. So these are two separate things that are mentioned in this chapter, and so we will look at them one at a time. And uh, hopefully, by the time we're done tonight, you will have some basic idea of what this is about. All right. Yom is day. Bikurim uh, comes from a Hebrew word bechor. I want to ask you to pronounce it. Bechor means first one. No yala. Bechor is is firstborn. Uh, so, in other words. This is the celebration of first fruits. Now, what's a little confusing is that there are actually two first fruits celebrations. Uh, one during Passover week, and we'll get into the specifics. And the second one, the second first fruits is on Shavuot, uh, the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, which is the Greek word. Uh, Pentecostes, uh, which means the 50th day. We'll talk about that as well. Um, but tonight we'll look at the first first fruit, which involved the first fruit of barley. Now, I know we're all farmers here, so we understand everything about first fruits. Um, well, some of us are farmers. All right, Sfirat HaOmer. Uh, Sfirat comes from the word 
to count. Uh, and safar, uh, well, uh, which means to count. That's that's an F. Um, this word also, then, if you strengthen it, in other words, makes it make it more intense. Then safar is uh, has the idea not only to count but also to recount. In other words, to tell again and again and again. Uh, and so in scripture, we are told to recount uh, the glories of God, the things that God has done. So it's not just counting once, one, two, three, four, five, but also uh, reminding or ourselves and others um, about what God has done. So... From that you have um, a word called sefer, which is book, right? And then you have another word that's related uh, to that, and that is sofer, which is scribe. So all that comes from this word safar. Uh, to count, to recount, to record, and um, so that's kind of a, a, a basic um, intro uh, to what we're going to be looking at. Now, part of what we need to remember is that the festivals of Israel uh, were involved with agriculture because most of the people of Israel were farmers. Um, and so we obviously need to understand the festivals and then of course need to understand what is the what are the uh, application for us since we're not farmers other than this one gentleman here who was a farmer. When was the barley planted? In the fall. Okay. So uh, in in Israel in those days, uh, the first the first fruit or the first crop to come up was barley, and then fifty days later it was wheat and pomegranate and figs and and olives and etc etc. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter eight, you see that we have a listing of that. Now, obviously today. We have a lot more than just eight fruits and vegetables. Israel is one of the most productive countries in the world. Uh, you may or may not know that. Um, in Israel, just about every imaginable fruit and vegetable is grown. But back in biblical time, you had basically eight, uh, eight different crops. And so, uh, we'll first of all talk about first fruits of barley. Uh, which is celebrated, uh, which was celebrated around Passover week, actually the second day of, of Passover. So let's, let's turn to Leviticus chapter 23, which is where we have um, a description of both the first fruits of barley and also the counting. Leviticus 23. And uh, verse 8, let's see, verse 10, 
to, to 15. And let's see, Mr. Bacon, sir. Yes. Once you find it, would you read it to us? I will find. Leviticus 23, starting verse 10. Tell the people of Israel, after you enter the land I am giving you, and harvest its ripe crops, you are to bring a sheep of the first fruits of your harvest to the Kohen. Uh, he is to wave the sheep before Adonai so that you will be accepted. The Kohen uh, is to wave it on the day after the Shabbat. On the day after that, you wave the sheep. Uh, you are to offer a male lamb without defect in its first year as a burnt offering to Adonai. His grain offering is to be one gallon of fine uh, one gallon of fine flour mixed with olive oil, an offering made by fire to Adonai as a fragrant aroma. His drink offering is to be of wine, one quart. You are not to eat. Uh, you are not to eat bread. Uh, dried grain or fresh grain until the day you bring the offering for your God. This is a permanent regulation throughout all your generations, no matter where you live. From the day after the day of rest, that is, from the day you bring the sheep for waiting, you are to count seven full weeks. And sixteen as well. Yeah. Until the day after the seventh week, you are to count 50 days, and then you are to present a new grain offering to Adonai. Okay. So, um, here in Leviticus 23, uh, as we've been seeing uh, the last few weeks, you have a listing of the biblical holidays, biblical festivals, including, of course, Shabbat. Um, and you have the days stipulated uh, when these things are supposed to take place. Um, except that when it comes to first fruits, you don't have a specific, a specific day for uh, first fruits of barley. Um, what are we told there as far as specification for time? Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Okay, 50 days or 7 times 7, 50 days. When? Well, that's it, tomorrow after Shabbat. Tomorrow after the Shabbat. And anything about Jewish mindset involves on one hand on the other hand yeah. rabbi so-and-so <clears throat> says this rabbi so-and-so says that uh, here you don't have a, a clear specification like you have Passover where you have the 14th day of Nisan here you do not have a specific day so the Sadducees said well the morrow after the Shabbat uh, is the Shabbat the Saturday, the seventh day. Uh, the, the Pharisees who represented the, uh, the synagogue said that this is, the Shabbat is referring to the Passover because the Passover is 
a Shabbat in a sense that it, it is a holiday festival that you cannot work on. So they went back and forth and back and forth and because the temple was destroyed, the Sadducees went out of business. Remember that the Sadducees and Pharisees basically were the two pillars of Judaism. Uh, the Sadducees ran the temple, the Pharisees ran the synagogue. So when you don't have the temple, then the, the Sadducees go out of business. So the Pharisaic perspective on the first fruits uh, became halakha or, or law. So because of that, um, the first fruit uh, the celebration of the first fruits of barley uh, became established as the second day of Passover, meaning the 16th day of Nisan. So sometimes uh, you may get honorary folks who will say, no, you need to go back to the Sadducees version of things, but uh, we're not going to, uh, to go that route. Anyways, so what are the instructions that are given here about the first fruits? Let's see if we can... Um, uh, somebody's... Uh, Birdie is calling us here. Okay, let's see if we can... Uh, <laughs> All right, what, what are the instructions that were given here in um, Leviticus 23 for first fruits? You're not to eat anything until the priest offers sheep. Okay, now what does that mean? Fresh grain. Okay. Fresh grain or dry or fresh. Yes, but the principle. Sorry, go ahead. Before we get, okay. You you want to, you insist on the waving, okay? <laughs> but I want to come back to what to what Karen was saying. Um, nothing could be eaten until what? Which means that think about it. Here you are, a farmer, and and you're beginning your crop. What does a farmer do at the beginning of the harvest, Mr. Farmer? <laughs> what does a farmer do when when the, when the crops begin to come up? He examines it. Huh? He examines it and makes sure it's right. He examines it. Okay, but does he does he say, well, I'm going to wait uh, uh, a month? And then when things come up some more, then I'll take it. He's gathering his equipment and he's beginning to prepare the harvest. Yeah. The, the, the crops come. What do you do? You get your equipment and, and you harvest. And, and what God is saying here, you cannot do that. Why? Because God gets his part first. Because God gets his part first, exactly. Now, that's what first fruits mean. It means that when, when, some, when you get your, your uh, uh, 
crop, as it were, then what, what happens is that the first part goes not to you, but to God. But it's the best. Huh? Not only is it first, but it's the best. It's, it's, it's the first and the best. That's, that's very good, Larry. Uh, in other words, the farmer doesn't look and say, well, you know, here's a rather uh, wimpy-looking sheaf of barley. Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and give it to God. It's first. No, it's, it's first and it's the best. In fact, in temple times, uh, the Israelite farmers would take uh, the sheaves that came up the first and were best and would tie ribbon around them so that when the time came to come to Jerusalem with with the first fruits they they would know exactly what they were supposed to do so the issue here is that God gets it God gets the best now It's highly un-American for God to require that, but this is something that goes back to, to biblical time to the people of Israel. Their attitude was, excuse me, I'm a farmer, I worked hard, I deserve what, uh, what came up, I'm taking it, and God, I'll give you something. And you see, particularly in the prophets, where God is screaming. Why? Because the people of Israel brought the disease, the leftovers. And his, his attitude is, uh, would you give it to, to your governor, you know, to, to your official? The answer is, of, co of course not. So what, what we want to do is not only understand what took place here, but also make the application. Think about what we often do when we give things to God. Yeah, you know, you, you get your paycheck and, and you pay the bills and, and then you, you pay uh, Comcast for TV and, uh, and then you say, oh, okay, I need to give God something. Uh, all right, here's what's left, God, you get it. That's kind of the mindset that was not only true of the people of Israel, it's also true of us as well. So the principle here is that God gets the best from the very top. In other words, not leftover, second, third, etc., but he gets the very best. Um, so, wave. Okay, this is not like uh, waving at the Broncos. Uh, the word there is snufal, though that. Snufal. And the waving is, if you've been with us um, uh, through a, a full year, you'll know exactly what the waving looks like. So what does the waving look like? On Sukkot, when we have the um, lulav and etrog, what do we do? This is not like, I said, not like the Broncos. Uh, there was an intelligent response here somewhere. Russell. 
Actually, all six. Why? Why all six? Why? To encompass all of God's creation. Okay, and to remember the simple fact that God is sovereign up and down, side to side, back, backwards and forwards. In other words, um, God, God's control isn't limited to a particular section. You know, God can only handle this much and the rest is out of his control. But rather, entire, the entire realm of, of the world um, in all different levels, all different layers, is under is part of God's control, and and the the analogy that I like being a um, an ancient Trekkie is I remember a scene when um, Spock was playing chess with with a computer, and and he was sitting there, multi-dimensional, multi-layer, and uh, playing chess with a computer and uh, beating the computer and I, I, I would think to myself you know I do well just to play chess on, on two levels you know you know what I'm saying uh, so the waving uh, was designed to remind the people of Israel that God is fully in control now there are obviously things um, in the uh, in, in the sacrifices that were not physically waved. You know, the people of Israel were told uh, to bring a wave offering of a lamb. You know, you're looking, what, two or three hundred pounds? Uh, obviously, you're not going to be <laughs> waving up and down. Huh? The bull, yeah, you know, it's uh, four or five hundred pounds. So, the, this really had the sense to do of presenting. And sometimes, like in the case of the sheaves of barley, uh, you can actually physically wave it back and forth. Uh, there were times that, that the waving was symbolic in a sense of bringing to God. Okay, what else do we see here in this uh, portion about the first fruits? James, you look like you were waving. You're doing a wave offering. There used to be a procession. From the boundaries of the town, right? Singing, playing music, and praising the Lord. <coughs> that was something in temple times. It's not listed here in Leviticus 23. There's a burnt offering to the Lord of a one-year-old lamb without Okay. You have also burn offering. Now, um, for us, this is hard to get our arms around because uh, most of us didn't grow up in a culture that uh, we raised animals, we killed them. Um, you know, we're used to going to King Supers or Safeway or wherever and getting the meat and, and it's all very nicely packaged. So it's hard for us to relate to this. Uh, the, the word for burn offering is ola, uh, which comes from the word that simply means to ascend, to go up. 
Um, Hmm? Yes, correct. It wasn't just the animal. Yeah. Yes, but but the animal is, is in all likelihood not waived because you. Yeah. Is it dead already? Yeah. Okay. And then do they skin it? Well, um, I I believe so. Okay, and then what do they do? Pour flour in an oil and kind of have a little. Well, the. the <laughs> and then, you know, it's a recipe, right? Oil, flour, and meat. All of that, yes. Okay. It, it, was, it was put on the altar. And, and the point of the burnt offering is that it was burned, yes, together with the oil and the flour. But the, uh, the purpose of the burnt offering. Uh, besides the fact that it was highly odiferous, you know, it stunk, um, it was consumed completely and fully. There were some sacrifices that were divided into portions and a portion was given to, uh, to the person who, who brought it, the, the offerer, for example, the um, so-called peace or, or fellowship offering was divided into three portions. A portion was uh, given to the person who brought it, and they had like like a, a party there, and a portion was given to the priest, and then a portion was burned up, which was symbolic of something goes up to God, given to God. In the case of the burnt offering, it, it was completely consumed, and so it symbolized one basic fact. Hmm? It all belonged to God. It was an offering of complete consecration. Um, now, of course, we can relate to that because there isn't a temple. We don't bring animals. We don't offer them. Um, in what way can we relate to a burnt offering? Linda. That verse that says, present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to the Lord. Okay, and that is found. Can't remember. All right, Romans 12, Romans 12, 1, uh, where Paul says, present yourself a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. Now, Paul was a rabbi who understood the sacrifices in the temple. So when he says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice, that's exactly what he has in mind. In other words, when you say to God, God, I'm yours, uh, you don't say, God, you can have a portion of me, but the rest of it belongs to me. No. If we understand who God is and who we are in relationship to him, that the only thing we can really do is say, God, I'm completely yours. And that's what, that's what Paul means in Romans uh, chapter 12. Um, I'm offering myself to you. And so it's, again, difficult for us to relate to that until we realize that there's a principle, spiritual principle that has to apply to us. In other words, we can't say to God, God, um, you can have a little bit of my time the spiritual or religious portion of, of who I am.
But the rest of it, I have a sign that says no trespassing. Uh, no, it doesn't work that way. We say to God, God, absolutely uh, unconditional surrender. That's what this is about. All right, anything else that you see in these verses? Sir? Would it be appropriate to say that when we give an offering to the Lord that we give it as open-handedly as possible, that it is his to deal with how he wants to prove whatever means he has set up, rather than us trying to control that gift we're giving? You're making a comment rather than asking a question. I'm asking is that would that apply here or not? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. You give something to God, you don't say, God, um, I'm giving you this and I have a prenup agreement here. Right. You know, um, you can take it, but uh, um, I, I have a piece of that. No. It's only good on Wednesdays. Huh? Or it's only good on Wednesdays. Or, or it's only, yeah, there you go. All right. Anything else that you notice in this chapter? We we'll begin to talk about the counting. All right. We are not quite ready for the counting, Michael. Okay. Uh, did you see a phrase that had to do with a sweet smell? Pleasing aroma. Now, what is that about? Attitude. What kind of attitude? Uh, humble, positive, loving, gracious toward God and giving. It, it, it's, it's submissive to Him. Now, again, remember that when we're talking about uh, burnt sacrifice, uh, it's anything but sweet smelling. You know, it's putrid, okay? Um, so when God says sweet smelling sacrifice, it's the attitude of the heart. Are, are you giving it wholeheartedly or uh, are, you, are you giving it to God um, grudgingly, resentfully? Correct, correct. It's all this. All of it. Everything is all his, right? Right. All of it, not just the first. All he only have it because. Okay. Right, and and so the the first fruits that uh, that we give to God, we give to God, not because that's the only thing that he deserves, but because we uh, we're grateful for for the rest that he's given us. And the first fruits is a symbol. Russell. Excuse me, it seems to me that the fact that the terrible smelling smoke was there was evidence that that offering was being consumed and could never be reclaimed. So the fact that God was witnessing that was sweet to him in the sense that he knew that the people were being obedient and following his commands, and that was the sweet moment. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And and remember, folks, that uh, scripture uses human language in order to communicate uh, spiritual truths. So when you think about sweet smelling, um, what is what is the most powerful 
physical sense that we have. Sense of smell. You know, you smell something and all of a sudden it brings you back to your childhood. Uh, you know, remember uh, grandma's cooking or something and, and uh, so yeah, it's, it's designed to say that that what is brought to God with the right kind of an attitude is uh, sweet smelling, it, it pleases him. And then there's another word that's uh, used here as well. Uh, did you notice the word acceptable? Say amen somebody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that word acceptable appears a bunch of time in in the instruction for the sacrifices. Uh, by the way, I, I suppose I'm a little sick because I get a lot of uh, insights from this and people typically look at, at Leviticus 1 to 4 and they say, okay, let's get to the good part. Um, so, what, what scripture says here is that um, God considers uh, these sacrifices to be sweet-smelling and acceptable. Uh, again, Romans chapter 12, uh, the things that you bring to God are acceptable. Why? Because you bring them wholeheartedly. Now, a couple more things before we get to the counting of the Omer. Uh, Sir? You're also bringing it to him in the proper way he prescribed. In a prescribed manner, yeah. Yeah, again, again. Sir? That's part of the acceptable also. It is, it is part of the acceptable, but the biggest the biggest part is the heart. Yeah. Um, so the sacrifices that, that were brought by the people of Israel uh, were first fruits and, and I wanted to extrapolate here um, because there, there are two principles for us that speak of first fruits. First of all, it is first fruit in the sense that this is something visible and it is tangible, we can see it, we can feel it, and say, God, thank you. It's the beginning of the harvest. So it, it speaks of gratitude. And it's hugely important for us to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. Why? The rest of the harvest. Okay, good point, Larry. Um, because of faith, we'll get to that in just a second. Why else? The Lord loves a cheerful giver. By the way, preachers like to <laughs> squeeze that. <laughs> um, but gratitude simply means what? Simply, simply thank you, you know. Uh, if you're a parent, you understand what I mean. You give something to your kid and your child grabs it and 
and and without paying any attention to you, just runs their way. And we tend to be like that, right? Okay, I'm the only one who does that. <laughs> um, so gratitude, gratitude is essential for two reasons. First of all, it reminds us who God is. And second of all, it helps with sanity. I know the Bible doesn't talk about sanity per se, but um, gratitude helps us because we go through times of difficulty and all we can see is the difficulty in front of our face and we are marinated <coughs> by bad attitude because of the difficulties. We can't see anything else. And so first fruits is hugely important for us because they're visible things that we can say, God, thank you. And, and it reminds you of the fact that God was around, has been around, has been there for you and, and you remember what God has done and that's hugely important for us because we need to to be reminded of tangible things that God had already done for us which comes back to Larry's point then uh, the rest of the harvest <clears throat> if you are able to remember the first fruits and hold up the first fruits and say thank you Lord then at that point you can take the first fruits and say okay God I'm going to trust you for the rest of the harvest <coughs> I don't have the whole the whole package here I just have first fruits but those first fruits remind me that you're at work that you're doing good things and because I know who you are you're going to complete what you've begun. So that is, uh, at least for me, why first fruits are, are so hugely important. We obviously don't grow barley or, um, or wheat, but each of us experiences good things that God does for us that in, in, in the scheme of things we tend to ignore and basically say God what have you done for me lately because our attitude is okay God thank you thank you thank you but I need something now and ignore what has what has taken place so first fruits is the principle that we see embedded here um, the first fruits of, harv of, of barley, and we'll also see that uh, when we come to the first fruits of the rest of the crops, the the, uh, the wheat, and so on and so forth. Okay, counting. Counting sfirat uh, haomer. Haomer. Omer just simply means um, sheaf, and and so the counting of the sheaves, in a sense, is is what that means. Now, um, think about it. Why 
Does God say to the people of Israel, you're to count 50 days? Do you understand Bible? In the first verse of Bible, I grew up in a agriculture in Spain and everybody in the same and like that. It was green and it was not ready, but you can eat barley when it's green. And they, they, the pay is coming, it's going to be already to harvest. That's what I understand about barley in, in the spring at the end. So barley is ready. It's not, it's not ready to harvest, it's not ready to harvest, but it's green and you can have it that first fruits to give it to the Lord in that time because you count them the day that the harvest, the harvest be already to take everything out. Okay. So it's the beginning, all right? Um, think about it. And by the way, according to rabbinic tradition, you, you literally say, today is the first day of the counting of Omer. Then tomorrow you say, tomorrow is the second day of the counting of the Omer. So the day after you say, today is the third day of the counting of the Omer. And there is a blessing that goes with it. Uh, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by his commandments and commanded us to count the Omer. You say, okay. Um, now, uh, I don't know about you, but that would be exciting for the first couple of days. <laughs> um, you know, day number 27 or 28 would get kind of old. Why did God require the people of Israel to count? People are tired. They may not count correctly. And we need to be on point that we are giving what the Lord has required. Okay, so again, coming back to, to the principle of obedience. Uh, patience. Patience. I'm sorry? Patience. Patience. Ah, okay. Hold that thought. We'll, we'll get back to patience. Everybody's favorite virtue. Uh, you notice that, that what it says in Leviticus uh, here, it says that, um, that you are to count full seven weeks. Hebrew word for full is tamim, which usually means blameless. Um, in other words, there's something special about about seven weeks. What is special about seven weeks? Okay, seven is a number of completion in Scripture. All right, what else? What does the number seven remind you of? Creation. Creation. Again, all these things are symbols to remind you of spiritual principles. Creation meaning that um, the same God who created things in the beginning is able to complete the work of creation, i.e. Through, through the harvest. Now patience. We all love patience. Um, Don't ever pray for it. No. <laughs> so think think of it from the perspective of a 
farmer. Um, you you have the first the first fruits of barley coming up, and you're all excited. And then you have seven weeks, fifty days. That's uh, that's over. It's about a month and a half where you sit and wait. And in Israel, as it is true for farmers here, uh, you really never know what's going to happen. You can you can have um, you can have drought. Hailstorm. You can have hailstorm. You can have pests. In Israel, you can get grasshoppers, uh, locusts, and so uh, you count and you say, "Okay, day number one, thank you God. Day number two, thank you God. Day number three, thank you God. Where is the rest of the harvest already?" Um, Hebrews chapters, chapter 6, verse 12. I want to park on that for, for just a minute. So would you please turn to it. Hebrews 6, verse 12. And let's see, uh, Mr. Bacon, sir. I'm slow. Slow but sure. So that you will not become sluggish, but will be imitators of those who by their trust and patience are receiving what has been promised. Now can you put that in English? <laughs> sure. So that you don't become dull. And dumb. There's a beginning of the... Oh, you mean put it in context? Yes. Okay. However, we want each one of you to keep showing the same diligence right up to the end when your hope will be realized. Don't so that you will not become sluggish. Am I in the right spot? So that you will not become sluggish, but will be imitators of those who by their trust and patience are receiving what has been promised. Okay. So, um, Again, in, in, in English, meaning what? Meaning that we want to go ahead and it, it's our trust and patience, and yes, he's teaching us those things, but he wants us to finish well. We're going to receive the reward that has been promised. We want to but be diligent and don't, don't give up, don't get sidetracked. It's faith. Yeah. Um, again, a rabbi said that more like the barley, we all are like green at the very beginning, and as the time goes by, comes yellow and it's ready. Ah, okay. Sometimes I feel like I'm all green, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, and by the way, uh, uh, patience and faith really are one and the same here. Patient faith. So, in other words, the writer of the book of Hebrews says that what God has for us, what God wants to give us, will come to us as we learn to receive it by patient faith. 
And that's, that to me is, is the spiritual principle that's involved here in the counting of the Omer. You wait for God in faith that the good things that he has in mind for the rest of the harvest are coming. And like faith in general, there are times when we have strong faith and then there are times when our faith is wobbly. And, and so the, the purpose for the, the people of Israel was to learn to do that, was to learn to wait uh, for God's fullness, the full harvest to come, and, and count in expectation that God was going to do what God had promised to do. Now that's the, the huge part of it. It isn't saying, I'm waiting for, uh, for my, uh, uh, the stock market to, to come or, or, or the, uh, uh, the Powerball to, to hit the right, uh, the right place so I get a, a few million. No, it is based on, on the Word of God, what God had promised. Um, and that's the principle because there are times when we don't see much other than the first fruits and we say, God, I'm going to trust you for the fullness of what you have in mind uh, for the harvest. I completely forgot to talk about the first fruits in the new covenant. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll park here for, for a few minutes. 1 Corinthians 15, and um, verse 20 to 23, and our favorite reader, 1 All right, sir, would you do that for us? Sure. But the fact is that Messiah has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have died. For since death came through a man, also the resurrection of the dead has come through a man. For just as in uh, connection with Adam all died, so in connection with Messiah all will be made alive. But each in his own order. The Messiah is the first fruits, then those who belong to the Messiah at the time of his coming, then the culmination, then he hands over the kingdom of God the Father, after having put an end to every rulership, yes, to every authority and power. Okay. For he has to rule until he puts all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be done away with will be dead. Okay. First fruits, in in a major sense, then refers to Ariel. To what? Yeah, yeah. Well put. A promise of something bigger, and Yeshua is first fruits in a sense that he was the first one who died and then rose again. Now there are other people who died 
and rose again and then died again. Uh, Lazarus, for example, died and rose again, but he died. Yeshua died, rose again, never to die. So he, what Paul is saying is that Yeshua is first fruits in a sense that all of us at some point uh, will be resurrected and have a body that doesn't have diabetes or any of that good stuff. <laughs> You know, super duper, yeah. yeah. Larry mentioned uh, when we were talking about first fruits before the word best, and with the connotation you're speaking of, it could be the best resurrection too, as opposed to first resurrection, right? Okay. So, in, uh, in effect, it's not a singular possibility of part well, yeah, there, there's more than one resurrection, the resurrection of the righteous and the wicked. It's the best. Yeah. yeah, and so this obviously is referring to the resurrection uh, of, of the righteous. So first fruits of the resurrection. Uh, a couple more verses and then we'll finish with that. Uh, Romans 8.23. Let's see, Philbert. <coughs> and not only creation, but even ourselves. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Ruach, groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption, the redemption of our body. So, what does that mean? We have the first fruits of the Ruach, the Spirit. What does that mean? That the spirit, that the spirit that Christ has has sent to us now is indwelling us, and He provides really my shortcoming while I'm waiting. Waiting for <coughs> for that final redemption. Right. Yes. <laughs> Here, there, in the air. Yes. Um, so there are days. I don't know about you folks. There are days when when I. I look at myself and I, I think, that was really stupid. How could I have done that? Anybody relate to that? Yes. All right. And so you, you, you Paul is saying here that the Spirit of God, the presence of, of the activity of the Spirit of God um, is a reminder to us that what God has given to us is there's going to be a fullness of it so that the junk, the sin, and all the other stuff in us is going to be taken away and it will be gone. So the Spirit of God in us is a first fruit. And then also James 1.18, we'll finish with that. How about Cheryl? Can you read to us? Cheryl or Steve? James 1.18 It's alright. It's chesed for you. And after the of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, 
so that we would be the kind of first fruits among creatures. That we would be first fruits. Okay, now what does that mean? First fruits in what sense? That that we, you and I, are first fruits of the rest of what God is going to do. Now, I don't know about you, but that's pretty humbling, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, you, you don't think of yourself as this glorious first fruits. But, but that's, what, that's what the Word of God is saying. That the things that God does in us are the first fruits of what He wants to do in other people. So what He does with us then overflows and makes an impact and touches other people. So there are all kinds of times when all we can think about is us, me, I'm having a hard time, I'm struggling, etc., etc., forgetting the fact that, that there is a bigger plan. There is a bigger plan. And that is not just for me to, to be in good shape and enjoying life and so on and so forth, but for what God does with me then to overflow and be first fruits and impact other people. That's the bigger, the bigger picture here that we often forget and we need to remember that that's also part of the first fruits. So next Wednesday we'll dive into the second first fruit, which is the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost and so on. And uh, Rabbi David, would you finish for us? Lord, we thank you for this, this time we've had. Thank you for the example that you've given us with Yeshua as first principle. We pray that that would rise into our hearts and we understand what we do have waiting for us. We cannot be empty promises, but there would be something that we truly look forward to. So we pray that uh, you would uh, bless us and keep us, Lord, until we meet again. And uh, pray safety for everyone traveling home tonight. And Yeshua's name. Thank you.